Welcome to the Inez Franklin Teaching and Sermons Podcast. Inez is a teaching pastor, public speaker, and founder at trochia.org. Learn more about Inez at www.inezfranklin.com. We hope this teaching brings you guidance, connection, or tools as we seek God together today. Enjoy the teaching. to do what he says. He says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? And so this is challenging for us. Some of these statements of Jesus, and today you came to church and you thought you were going to get like a feel-good sermon. Mm -mm. And I'm so glad you're all in a good mood because, uh, yeah, this is good. The whole point of this series is this, not to make us feel bad or any of the sort. It's to help us gain clarity. A lot of these message, a lot of these passages are actually misunderstood and misinterpreted and misapplied. So I, we want to bring clarity to some of these passages. We want to help all of us to gain courage and boldness and faithfulness to actually do what Jesus calls us to do. That we may be inspired by understanding why it is that Jesus wants us to do these things and that they are good. Why? Because we are, in a way, playing follow the leader, and our leader is good, okay? And so he is taking us to a good place. So if you have your Bible, uh, open it up if you would, your app, whichever way you want to get there, to Mark chapter 10. I'm convinced this is a passage that some of you are afraid of. Uh, I am. Um, but I think you're going to love what we're going to learn today. So Mark chapter 10, 10, verse 17. But the context of this story is Jesus is towards the end of his life. He's headed towards Jerusalem. There are people following him. And there was a problem at that time that really is no different than for us today. And that is that riches, health, youth, power, and position were valued above or else. Does that sound like Newport Beach or Irvine? Right? It's the same. They had the same issues. And so we see Jesus walking, and we are told of the story of a man who comes to Jesus. Verse 17 is we're going to read. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Okay, now this is a really amazing scene when you think about it for a moment. Now Jesus is walking, he's got his disciples, he's got people following, Pharisees and teachers of the law. It's a crowd, all right? And here comes a man, who knows how long he's been running, he's huffing and puffing, he runs right up to Jesus and he drops to his knees. Imagine that sight. Now men, you know, the idea of kneeling before another guy, uh uh-uh, I don't think so. Ladies, we don't kneel before each other, do we? I mean, the that bottom line is none of us could see ourselves running to anybody. I mean, think of a football player, if you're into football, or a movie star, and you meet them for the first time. You might run up to them. I can see that. I doubt we're going to run and kneel before them. So this was like a spectacle. This guy jumps forward and kneels before Jesus. It would have been even more startling because now this is a small community. People knew each other. They probably knew him but they knew this much about him. When you read the gospel stories, we're told by Matthew that this was a young man. Luke tells us he was a ruler. And as we read this story, we learn that he was wealthy. 
So we've got this rich, young ruler, that's why the story is called that way, coming, running, and kneeling before Jesus in the first century, a rich man, a powerful man. Oh, wait a second. That's the same in the 21st century. What rich, powerful man would run and kneel before another man? Would that not, like, startle us if we ever saw that? So this guy kneels before Jesus, and he asks him an incredibly deep question. Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? I'm thinking there are people around the community saying, around this situation, and they're going, you know what? I, I may have that same question. I'm glad he asked the question. Now that I see it, let's see what Jesus has to say. Then, of course, there would have been the Pharisees and the teachers of religious, the religious law who were looking for any possible way to convict Jesus so they can put him to death. And they probably were wondering, uh-huh, Jesus, how are you going to answer that? Let's hear it. That's a tough question. And so I could imagine this crowd, imagine all of us, we're kind of like a good number, surrounding this man on his knees, still sweating, huffing, puffing, looking up to Jesus going, okay, I want the answer to this question. All eyes are on Jesus. What is he going to say? How is he going to answer this question? And of course, Jesus never disappoints. He answers not with an answer, but with a question. Verse 18. Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud. Honor your father and mother. I could imagine the crowd having this collective like, (gasps) he didn't answer the question. I'm talking to each other. There he goes again. He never answers the question straight on. Don't we do that when we hear politicians? (laughs) So I can see them all whispering in the background, murmuring like, wow, what is he saying? That has nothing to do with the question. Jesus, answer the question. Jesus doesn't immediately answer the question. He sees past the question to what really is happening in this man's heart. He begins by this, asking, why do you call me good? He uses good teacher. The the Greek word for good in this context means excellent, outstanding, best, best teacher. You are it. I have heard about you. I'm coming to you. There's nowhere else to go. I don't know if the guy was trying to butter up Jesus so he can get the right answer, or he really believed that Jesus was that good. Nevertheless, Jesus challenges him. Why do you call me good? And you know, Jesus does this quite often. Remember the woman who was sick for 12 years? She touches Jesus, hoping that she would be healed. Instead of saying to her, hey, lady, why did you touch me? He asked, who touched me? Expecting her to be the one to say, I touched you because I believe that you were it. And so he's expecting this man to name Jesus for who he is. Why do you call me good? Are you saying you recognize that I'm God in the flesh? That's what some commentators say. Some commentators say that Jesus is basically saying, if you call me good teacher, you must be prepared to also call me God. Of course, he doesn't. So Jesus goes on and he tells him about these commandments. You notice those commandments are the last five commandments of the ten. He leaves out the others. 
So he asked the man, essentially, you know what those commandments add up to? Love your neighbor as yourself. That's what they add up to. And so he says, hey, you know the commandments. Love your neighbor as yourself. Now I'm thinking the guy's going, what does that have to do with eternal life? So here's the big moment. The eyes shift now from Jesus to the man on his knees, sweating, probably thinking, I'm a little confused, Jesus, by what you just said, but let me figure this out. What am I going to ask now? How am I going to, I'm going to get you back on the question that I have for you. They all look to him. What is he going to do? This is his big moment. He could either identify before all these people, people he knew. He's already made a little fool of himself by being on his knees. Will he take that extra step and acknowledge Jesus for who he is? Or will he chicken out? We don't know why this man was there. We don't know if he was there because he felt he was good. He had already accomplished all that was necessary to have eternal life. And he was hoping that Jesus would put a stamp of seal on it. And everybody get to watch that moment where Jesus said, Ooh, well done. You got it together, don't you? Fine. Everyone, check it out. This is the guy. Perfect picture of eternal life. You know, he's done it all. So follow him. Or was he desperate? Was his heart yearning for more? He had tried it all, and yet he felt still no assurance, no security, no sense of eternity. So all look now to him, and here's his response. Teacher, he declared, all these I have kept since I was a boy. Matthew puts it this way in chapter 19. All these I have kept, the young man said. What do I still lack? I've done it all, Jesus. Been there. I've tried everything. Since I was a young boy, for a Jewish man, that meant since the age of 13, the age of accountability, since I could do my best, since I understood, I did all of those things. But you know what he missed? Those are only five commandments, the commandments to love one another. The other five commandments were about whom? God. About God. And Jesus knows the condition of his heart. He knows that there's something this man is missing But this man doesn't see it himself. He had this idea, perhaps, that his deeds were the equivalent of salvation. I'm always, that isn't that familiar. It would have made sense in the first century. You see, the Jews had 600 laws. They believed that if they followed the law, that meant salvation, eternal life. And so he did all that. The Jews believed that if you were wealthy, If you had position and power and influence, it meant God blessed you. God had his favor upon you. And they look back at Abraham, who God made a wealthy man, and Job, who lost everything and then gained it back with God's favor, and David and Solomon. These guys were blessed by God with enormous wealth. So they would think, hey, wealth meant I'm blessed by God. I'm doing everything according to the law, and I'm blessed by God with wealth. What else could there be? So it makes sense that he can't think of the next thing. Then we wonder if he was simply hoping to be told by Jesus that there is nothing else. You have done it all. You're okay, young man. Ooh, now all eyes are on Jesus. Will it be okay? Will that be enough for eternal salvation? And listen to his words. Jesus looked at him, verse 21, and loved him. One thing you lack. 
he said. Go and sell everything you have and give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. we're all absolutely deathly afraid of. I mean, this is like chalkboard and nails. Go and sell everything. How many of us are absolutely haunted by this passage? Let's be honest. Come on. Yeah. I love it. There's a few of us here that are like, yeah, this one hits home. I could imagine one went, what? Why would you do that? What would you ask him to sell everything? The scariest statement of Jesus, how many of us would be absolutely freaked out to be the guy sitting there having risked his reputation, his identity. In front of all these people, he's told, go sell everything. You know, this gives us a sharp image of God. It starts out by telling us Jesus loved him. I can imagine this man on his knees looking up to Jesus and looking, Jesus looking down at him, all of a sudden, all the people surrounding him were irrelevant. A moment between these two men, Jesus' eyes looking not to his external eyes, but deep into this man's heart, loving him, probably knowing how hard this man had tried everything to find salvation. How are they knowing maybe the torment in the man, maybe the arrogance of the man that was holding him back? Jesus, knowing that wealth had become for this man a stronghold that was keeping him from a relationship with the Lord. I don't know, but I can see Jesus look straight into this man's eyes with love, not condemnation, but love. He says, one thing you lack. Now, the man came to him thinking of addition. I've got wealth. I'm a pretty good guy. I love everybody. I do all the right things. Can we add one more thing? And don't we do that right? We think, hey, I've got this. I've got this. Hey, I'll add a little Jesus. My life is perfect. We think in addition terms. You know what this passage makes us think the minute we read it? Subtraction. We read it and we think, Jesus I added Jesus, and now he's going to take everything away from me. And that's why it freaks us out, and that's usually why we skip the passage and read the next thing. We try to forget it, that we ever read it. But the reality is Jesus says, no, 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 no. I'm about substitution. Taking out that which keeps you from a relationship with God, keeps you from eternal life. The very thing you want to know how to gain eternal life is that thing you need to let go so that you can now have me. Come, Jesus says. Follow me. And it's the reason this particular passage challenges each and every one of us. Because every one of us has something. It may be money. It may be wealth. It may be your good looks and your health. It could be the job, the position, the relationship. Could be that you're good. You're a really, really fine person. And somehow, we're holding on to that thing as a way to salvation. 
And Jesus wants to tap into that and reminds us of this today. God is to have first place in our lives. Mm, That's good. We have to say it together. God is to have first place in our lives. Substitution. Not subtraction, how we tend to look at this passage. Substitution. He will receive so much for that. He says to him, you will have treasure in heaven. It's not subtraction. Come and follow me. What does Jesus want for the man? What does Jesus want for you and me? To rearrange our hearts. To retune ourselves to what actually matters. It raises this huge question. Are we going to trust on ourselves and what we have, or are we going to trust in Jesus? I am thinking this morning some of you walked in with some heavy weight, with some things that are going on in your life, some concerns, some issues. Maybe you had a, you're feeling fantastic and you're worried that tomorrow is not going to be like that. I don't know what is in front of you right now. Here's a question for us to ponder, for you to ponder. Do I rely on myself and my possessions? Or do I trust God? That's the question he asks. And there's really, the question he asked this young man only has a very simple answer. Yes or no, I'm going to trust God or I'm not. It's not that I'll trust God a little bit and still rely on myself. Remember, that's addition. We're going with the substitution. We have to say yes or no. So what did the man say? Everyone now is looking at the man. Jesus has given this man an option to choose from. Silence. The man probably has a hard time saying any words because this is what happens. At this, the man's face fell. Can you picture that? He's looking up to Jesus, and Jesus says, sell everything. Come, follow me. That is not what I came to hear. He went away sad, depressed, like a cloud just came over him, thunder, lightning, snow, blizzard. It's like, this is dark and bad. This is not what I expected to find today. Why? Because he had great wealth. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. You know, this is the only instance in scripture where someone comes to Jesus with a need and walks away empty-handed. The only. And it was his choice. God gives, I mean, Mark gives us this huge description of how disappointed this young man is. He seems to have done everything right. Gain wealth, gain position, gain influence, gain friends because he was probably a very good person. And yet in this moment, he chooses not to follow the leader. The rich young ruler ends the game and walks away. And of course, the disciples are watching this and they're going, whoa, what just happened? Listen to what it says in verse 24. The disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said again, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of the needle than someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were even more amazed when they heard Jesus say this. They said to each other, 
Well, then who then can be saved? If not this guy, certainly not us. And Jesus looked at them. That's me adding, by the way. They didn't say that. I'm thinking they said that. Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. Now, some people get so caught up on this, you know, this whole like camel going through, through the needle. I have a needle. I mean, more commentary. I mean, so I was preparing for this message. It's like everyone's talking about the camel and the needle. All right, let me give you the theories. A little gate in, in Jerusalem where you could either not get through or if a camel got through, he had to be on his knees. Um, a, the word for camel also means rope, so it's like twine, cannot get through a needle. You have to twist it to get through a needle. Or is it possible Jesus was saying this very literal, a camel, a big fat camel with a few extra humps and a big fat lip cannot possibly get through a little needle with a teeny hole that is used for fabric. Probably that one. Because there's a point. Jesus is making it clear. It is impossible. There is no deed you can do to bring you eternal life. It's not in human hands. It's only in God's hands. And God can bring life, life to the fullest now and forever. Will we trust and say yes to that? Or will we say no and walk away? And many people did, you know. John talks about a time, a similar time, where Jesus told his followers, only through my body and my blood can you find eternal life. And you know what happened? Lots of people left him. Look what it says in verse 66 of John chapter 6. After this, a lot of his disciples left They no longer wanted to be associated with him. The game of follow the leader, done. And Jesus looked at the 12 disciples and they said, gave them their chance. Do you also want to leave? And here's an affirmative response. Here's someone saying yes to Jesus. Peter, he replied, master, to whom would we go? You have the words of real life, eternal life. We've already committed ourselves. We've we've let go of everything, essentially. Confident that you are the Holy One of God. It's on you, Jesus. You're it for us. We have nowhere else to go. Jesus calls us to get rid of the idols in our lives. Follow him and follow him alone. To follow him as a leader. And I get it. It's scary. It's challenging. You know why? Because we're all afraid, secretly afraid, that he's going to take us somewhere where it's going to hurt, don't we? Like I hear people say this all the time. I'm just afraid that Jesus is going to ask me to become a missionary to Africa. To which I say, I have a friend from Kenya, and he wonders why we say that. Because he's a missionary to the USA. (laughs) We worry that somehow perhaps... Jesus is going to take something from us, like an opportunity. Maybe our credibility, our sense of identity, our reputation. We worked so hard to get there, didn't we? And now Jesus wants to let us, have us get, give that away? No, we say. We hang on. We hang on to our pride. We hang on to our sense of reason. Lots of people say, until I get all my questions answered, sorry, Jesus, can't follow you. I'm hanging on to my reason. 
We hang on to those things and we're so afraid Jesus will tell us to give it up. But you know what's wrong with that? In this game of follow the leader, when I was a kid, the whole object was to take someone out. And if you played it the way that I played it, you think that's how God plays it. You think that God wants you to give things up because he wants to take you out. But you know, remember the words. Remember what Jesus, what the man called Jesus, good, most excellent, best teacher. We have a good, good, good God. A good leader who wants nothing but the best for each one of us to live out to the fullest potential that he intended for us. He wants us to give up those things that will destroy our hearts, keep us captive, keep us from living out that most excellent of life with him for eternity. He loves us too much to leave us there. You know, I'm convinced that although that young man left way that day, I bet you Jesus pursued him even after. And I pray that he's up in heaven and he's looking down on us and going, come on. I said no at the beginning. Don't waste your time. He's coming after you again and again and again. And it's good. He's a good teacher. His promise is true. There is eternal life only in Jesus. I want to close with this thought. When you look at this story in Mark chapter 10, I highly recommend you read the whole chapter later today if you have time. Make time. Before this story, there's a story of children being brought to Jesus. And the disciples are trying to get the kids out of the way. And Jesus says, no, 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 let these children come. The kingdom of heaven belongs to children such as this. A faith like this, childlike faith, is a faith that's required to have eternal life. I want to show you a picture from my friend Kevin the Allen and his son Nash. Isn't that gorgeous? Now, this is the kind of faith Jesus wants us to have. I'm told by um, Kim that Nash, when he was little, he wanted to be in daddy's shoulders before he would fall asleep. This picture was taken recently. Nash is now three. He still loves that. He gets up on daddy's arms, and there he is, sound asleep on daddy's head. Absolutely. You know what he believes? Daddy is not going to let me fall. I'm safe here. I can sleep, let my head bob. I can let my arms go loose because daddy has me. Your heavenly father has you in his arms. Would you trust him with this level of childlike faith? Can you picture yourself sitting on your father's shoulders, resting with this kind of peace? After the story in chapter 10, we see a different story. A man, Bartimaeus, who comes to Jesus, he's a blind man. And he rushes to Jesus in the same way that the rich young ruler rushed to Jesus, asking, begging Jesus to give him sight. Jesus asks him, what do you want? I want to see. And Jesus says, your faith has healed you. I can guarantee you Bartimaeus had childlike faith. And he was willing to ask Jesus for what he wanted and willing to do because we're told Bartimaeus then followed Jesus after that. So with these two stories bookending, what we learned today, 
May you and I be reminded that if God asks us to give anything, whether it's a little thing, a big thing, or a lot, he only does it for our own good. And chances are that you and I are blind to that which is keeping us from that sweet, loving, tender relationship with our Heavenly Father. Will we be brave enough like the blind man to run to Jesus, simply asking him to open our eyes to that? Will we be courageous enough to have a faith like a child and trust God with the outcome? And so now as we reflect, I want to end us, I want to ask the band to come forward. And I want to end us with two questions. I, I recognize you can't possibly answer these questions right away. But I want to start, start thinking about them. That this passage, instead of haunting you and scaring you, it excites you because you think of the substitution that could take place if you gave God what he's asking you for, knowing that what he will give you in return is going to be good. But now we look at this passage very differently. And so these are the true questions. What is keeping you from following Jesus? What if you did what Jesus says? You know, if you're not a believer probably comes pretty quickly to your mind what's keeping you from following Jesus. I hope you wrestle with those questions today. But if you're a believer, you probably think, well, nothing. I am following Jesus. I'm in church. But I got a feeling, only because I know it from my own heart, stuff still gets in the way, doesn't it? We don't always follow Jesus faithfully. There's something in the way. What's keeping you from following Jesus? And what if you did? What if? We start to think, we make ourselves these really dark pictures of what it would be like if we gave everything away and now we're like tent in a, living in a tent in someone's backyard. And it's going to be awful and miserable. But what if we changed that movie? What if we looked forward and thought, what if I did what Jesus asked me to do? What good could come into my life? Are we willing to think about that? Close your eyes if you would. I want to pray for you. I want to ask God in his presence press into your heart I imagine God looking at you deep looking at your eyes with absolute and perfect love calling you this morning to come follow me let's identify that thing that's keeping you from following me. And let's dream together what is to come because now you are following a good, good leader. Father, give us eyes to see. Give us courage to be like children, trusting you 
and you alone. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you again for listening. Make sure to learn more about Inez Franklin at www.inezfranklin.com. You can help share these teachings by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts and sending this episode to a friend. Make sure to follow Inez Franklin on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and more, where she is engaging with the community and inviting us to participate with God and his work together. Thanks again. Thanks again.